Hello, and welcome to another podcast in the series, A History of the 18th Century in Ten Poems. My name is Kathleen Lawton Trask, and I'm a research student at the University of Oxford. I'm going to talk to you today about rural poetry, which changed in surprising ways over the course of the 18th century. I'll talk briefly about pastoral poetry, and then about the Georgic, a new mode of poetry for England in the long 18th century, which changed how poets and their readers considered the countryside. I'm indebted for the background in this podcast to the work of Anthony Lowe, John Chalker, David Ferrer, and Jennifer Batt. As you may have heard in other podcasts in this series, the Digital Miscellanies Index offers a window into what was popular in the 18th century. By researching how many and which miscellanies a particular poem appeared in, we can draw some conclusions about how popular or widely read that poem might have been. You might have learned about some pastoral poems in school. They often include a shepherd and some sheep, with perhaps a milkmaid, and they idealize country life. Such poems were popular in the period leading up to the 18th century. Indeed, the Digital Miscellanies Index has recorded more than 500 different pastorals that were published in miscellanies during the century. One of these, Christopher Marlowe's The Passionate Shepherd to His Love, is a classic example. Written in the late 16th century, it begins, Come live with me and be my love, and we will all the pleasures prove that hills and valleys, dale and field, woods and craggy mountains yield. A declaration of love with a backdrop of bucolic landscape, the passionate shepherd is an archetype of pastoral poetry. But even at the time it was written, there was a sense that poems like these didn't tell the whole story. Marlowe's contemporary Sir Walter Raleigh wrote a poem that begins, If all the world and love were young, and truth in every shepherd's tongue, these pretty pleasures might me move to live with thee and be thy love. In Raleigh's poem, the passionate shepherd's lover rebuffs him, explaining that shepherding is hard work and that passion fades with age. She says that time drives the flocks from field to fold when rivers rage and rocks grow cold. And the flowers do fade and wanton fields to wayward winter reckoning yields. She brings the images of winter and aging to bear on the idealized summer of love that the shepherd promises her. Marlowe and Raleigh wrote in the late 16th and early 17th centuries, but these two poems were still being read in the 18th. The Digital Miscellanies Index shows that the poems were published, usually together, in eight different popular miscellanies, three of which went into multiple editions. From these poems and others like them, we know that neither the idea of the countryside as a perfect place, nor the reflection that such might not actually be the case, was new to the 18th century. But in the 18th century, a new kind of rural poetry emerged, in part due to a translation of Virgil by 17th century poet John Dryden. Virgil is best known as the author of the Aeneid, an epic poem about the hero Aeneas and the war between the Trojans and the Latins. But before he wrote the Aeneid, sometime between 37 and 30 BC, Virgil wrote a four-part poem called The Georgics, which not only celebrated farming, but also offered instruction on the different kinds of manual labor farmers perform. Virgil wrote his Georgics in part to train city-born Roman soldiers who were given land to cultivate after returning home from war. In 1697, Dryden translated the Georgics, publishing his translation with an essay on the Georgic form by critic Joseph Addison. Addison's essay famously drew a distinction between the work of the laborer and that of the poet, 
maintaining that Virgil's Georgic poetry was superior to Hesiod's much earlier Georgics because Hesiod was a farmer and his poems contained too many technical terms. Early in the 18th century, though, a thresher called Stephen Duck proved Addison wrong. Duck's poem, The Thresher's Labor, was written in first person from his own experience and garnered him both critical praise and courtly attention. Duck became truly famous in the 1730s and received a pension and small house from Queen Caroline in recognition of his talent. The Digital Miscellanies Index records at least 15 different poems by Duck that were included in more than a dozen miscellanies over the course of the century. Poems like The Thresher's Labor, Georgics written by actual workers, were something new. Like Virgil's original, these Georgics described the work in detail, but unlike Virgil's, these new Georgics were likelier to entertain and inform than to instruct. They exposed their readers to a world in which they had no experience, but equally one that they likely never would experience. Duck's poem, for example, presented a very different pastoral backdrop. Divested of our clothes, with flail in hand, at proper distance, front to front we stand. From the strong planks our crabtree staves rebound, and echoing barns return the rattling sound. Instead of a peaceful hillside with grazing sheep and romantic shepherds dotting the landscape, Duck's countryside holds noisy barns full of naked men swinging flails to separate grain from straw. In briny streams our sweat descends apace, drops from our locks or trickles down our face, the poem continues. No intermission in our work we know, the noisy threshold must forever go. This is a far cry from the romantic idyll of Marlowe or even Raleigh's measured rebuttal. A thresher or his lover would have neither time nor energy to debate how long love might last. Duck even addresses the difference between the two jobs. Can we, like shepherds, tell a merry tale? The voice is lost, drowned by the louder flail. Threshers, Duck says, do not have voices as shepherds do through pastoral poetry. What they might say is drowned out by the noise of their work. Of course, this idea is belied by Duck's poem itself, which uses the voice of a thresher to describe his job. The tradition of laboring class poetry would grow over the next century, with farmers, washerwomen, maids, and others all writing about their particular labor. Self-taught poets like Duck learned primarily through extensive reading, and usually published their poems with the support of upper-class patrons. Traditionally educated poets such as John Phillips, author of Cider, and John Dyer, author of Fleece, also wrote imitations of Virgil, but they wrote, as Virgil did, not from experience, but from education and observation. What was notable about Duck and his cohort was that they wrote about the reality of labor and of the country, not from the theoretical notions of it that motivated Virgil, Dryden, and even Phillips and Dyer. At mid-century, Thomas Gray wrote his Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard, which laments the deaths of the laboring class people buried in the churchyard. Gray's ode reclaims the idea of rural labor being noble and life in the country being better than city life, but because of the work of poets like Duck, he has to first acknowledge the drudgery of manual labor. Oft did the harvest to their sickle yield, their furrow oft the stubborn glebe has broke. How jocund did they drive their team afield, how bowed the woods beneath their sturdy stroke. Let not ambition mock their useful toil, their homely joys and destiny obscure, nor grandeur here with a disdainful smile, 
the short and simple annals of the poor. This poem appears in more than 50 miscellanies in the Digital Miscellanies Index, despite having been published first in 1751. It is still widely anthologized today, and is again one of the poems a teenager might learn in school. Clearly, its darker view of rural life and the lives of the poor did not hurt Gray's poem's popularity. Now, you may have noticed that Gray's poem seems to have proved much more popular than Duck's did. Rural poetry was still much more prevalent than Georgic poetry during this century. The index records around 40 examples of the Georgic, as compared to pastorals more than 500, and about the same number with the theme rural life. Stephen Duck died in 1756 of drowning. He's thought to have committed suicide. By the time of his death, he had become a court poet, satirized by many, including Jonathan Swift. But his impact on poetry remained. Duck and his successors were not the only factors in the changing nature of rural poetry, but the thresher's labor and its author's brief fame also gave rise to a generation of laboring class men and women who found ways to publish their poetry, and in so doing escaped a life of manual labor. Some of them even made the transition from laborer to working poet, a change Addison never took into account when he criticized Hesiod for having much more of the husbandman than the poet in his temper. Thank you for listening, and please look for more podcasts in this series on the Digital Miscellanies Index website, www.digitalmiscellaniesindex.org.